Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well-connected enough to get the real story and bold enough to tell it. Stay informed with Vicki McKenna on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good afternoon and welcome to the program. I'm Vicki McKenna, News Talk 1130 WISN. Dave Michaels is, uh, is filling in for Scott for a couple of weeks here. So, Dave, congratulations. I'm going to pick on you. Instead of Scott, um, I, I, I think you know it. It, it, it bears noting that um, that we're all going to die because of what Donald Trump did yesterday. Um, the end of humanity as we know it is upon us because Donald Trump engaged in a, and I'm quoting, traitorous act of war in announcing that we were not going to be complying with a an accord set up by a bunch of kleptocrats at the United Nations. It's a traitorous act of war, and we're all going to die. Yes, we are going to get into some of the more hysterical reaction to Trump's decision to announce we're pulling out of the Paris Accord. He didn't even have to announce it. He could have just said, we're not going to comply with anything regarding this Paris Accord. We'll send him a letter saying, don't bother contacting us because we're not interested in complying with this. But he instead did it at a Rose Garden ceremony. Um, so we'll talk about the hysterical reaction to that. Most of it is is predicting the apocalypse upon us. Of course, these people don't believe in God, so I don't know why they keep predicting that kind of thing. Um, but in any case, uh, now the 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 avenue of inquiry that the news media seems to have seized upon is, does Donald Trump believe climate change is real? I'm going um, so, to save everybody a, you know, a lot of hand-wringing over that. Yeah, Donald Trump believes climate change is real. So do I. Everybody does. You know why we do? Because sometimes it's hot, and sometimes it's cold, and sometimes it rains, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it snows. Climate change is real because it changes all the time. Anyway, we'll get into all of that coming up on the program. Also, the Wisconsin GOP-controlled legislature has launched a sneak attack on small brewers, small winemakers, and small distillers. In Wisconsin. Why? Who knows? But we're going to talk about that on the program as well. Here's where we're going to start, though. Something that is more relevant than whether Donald Trump has just ended humanity as we know it. And that is the announcement from a designer that soon we are going to see lace men's shorts on clothing racks across America. Lace Men's shorts. I mean, 
maybe they're right. Maybe the end of humanity as we know it is upon us because apparently there is a market for lace men's shorts. Dave, would you wear a pair of lace men's shorts? I mean, no. Why not? I mean, so what if those cargo shorts were made of lace? (laughs) Come on. I mean, wouldn't it be fun to, like, I don't know, go commando in a pair of lace men's shorts? (laughs) No, it's not that important of a story, but I saw it today, and everybody's kind of flipping out about it. I saw Gregory John put up a post on Twitter. (laughs) It had me laughing pretty much all morning long. No, really, lace men's shorts. Um, Well, you know, the the temperature's going to keep going up. Those regular shorts, you know, they don't move air through them that well so maybe you'll be you'll be all fighting over lace men's shorts because of course the planet is going to heat up and kill us all uh, but before you do you can rock the pastel colored lace men's shorts and i was thinking about this going is this the feminization of men's fashion or is this just a really stupid fashion trend like like dave you and i lived through in the 1980s you know like men with mullets and, um, you know, those ridiculous Michael Jackson jackets and pleather pants. Remember, do you remember the MC Hammer baggy zoot suit pants? Those were pretty ridiculous. So I don't know. It all it remains to be seen, folks, if the um, the upcoming fashion trends suggest that fashion designers who are political creatures have decided to try to dress all men like women or If it's just millennial fashion designers running out of ideas and ripping off other people from previous generations' ideas like we've been seeing over and over. I'm seeing them rip off television shows, rip off storylines, rip off movies, rip off poster styles, rip off musical styles. And, of course, they're ripping off old-fashioned trends. So maybe that's what we're seeing, but... I don't know. If I bought if I bought the guys at iHeartMedia a pair of lace shorts, do you think we could get them to do a group shot? <laughs> Unless an entire keg of beer were involved. Well, that I mean that would be the point. You know, yeah, that maybe that's that's it. That's it. This is just something that you wear when you lose a bet, right? You're betting your buddy, you're betting your buddy at pool, you're betting your buddy at the golf course, you lose the bet. You have to wear a pair of lace shorts around. And, of course, because some people are not going to understand that you lost a bet, you're probably going to have to, you know, hone your fist-fighting skills here and there just to make sure that um, that someone does not just decide that that is a fashion mistake so egregious that you deserve to have your ass kicked. Just saying. All right. Anyway, we have linked, all of us pretty much at iHeartMedia now have shared that link of the lace shorts I have. Gregory John has got one of the funniest blog posts, so check out his blog post at Newstalk1130.com. Here's what we're going to do, though. Get to some serious stuff on the program, and that is the hysterical meltdown. Is that really that serious? It's kind of more fun than anything else. The hysterical meltdown of the so-called science-loving left, who are the science-loving left, which, of course, accuses people like Scott Pruitt or me, um of being a science denier, the science-loving left, saying things like, Donald Trump just killed humanity. Donald Trump just ended life on Earth. Because Donald Trump announced we were not going to comply with 
an international accord that would force us to destroy our own economy for exactly zero benefit to us or the world. But those science-loving liberals are saying things like Donald Trump just killed everybody. He might as well have just killed us all. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. You know, I do have a, a random question that I absolutely need answered by the end of this program. What is the difference between a colch, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right, and a pilsner? I'm going to be talking about beer later on. What's the, do you know, Dave? The difference between a colch and a pilsner. Yeah, go to the Google, because I didn't have any success on the Google. Um, and I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, but that's, I'm just, I'm seeing beers labeled Kolsch, K-O-L-S-C-H, you know, my, uh, my Austrian friend Walter can email me if I'm saying that wrong. Um, and then Pilsner, there, I think it's the same, maybe it's just a different way to say it, I don't know. It's just all the rage right now. So we're going to talk about beer a little bit later on, mostly about a, a sneak attack on small Wisconsin brewers in order to benefit other sectors of the alcohol industry in Wisconsin. So that's coming up on the show. Let me go back to the global warming stuff, though, here. First off, to see even, you know, even Fox News run the um, the big question of the day, you know, take their talking points from, from the left-wing narrative. White House refuses to say if climate change is real. I saw that headline on Fox News. Um, of course... The White House thinks climate change is real. Everybody thinks climate change is real. Calling it climate change, calling global warming climate change, and then claiming that people who disputed the theory of global warming, and here's the theory of global warming, that an increased concentration of carbon dioxide in the upper atmosphere is going to cause catastrophic increases in temperature that cannot be reversed. That's the theory of global warming. That's the dispute. The, la- the environmentalists who saw the opportunity to create the political theory of everything out of global warming, if they changed global warming to climate change, now say anybody who disputes the theory of global warming, which is falling apart as you look at the models, the models are not able to predict past known temperatures. So we're supposed to trust that the models will predict future unknown temperatures. When you apply the models to known data, they are not anywhere close to being able to predict the past. And we know the data. That's what's disputed. What is disputed is that the contribution of humanity in carbon dioxide is increasing carbon dioxide precipitously to the point where temperatures are rising, causing cataclysms. That's the theory. Climate change is just whatever the left decides it wants it to be. Climate change is the weather. That's climate change. Weather changes, that's climate change. If there's drought in California, clearly that's climate change. If there's rain in California, clearly that's climate change. If there's snow in Wisconsin, it's climate change. If there isn't snow in Wisconsin, it's climate change. And all that's true, because it's climate change, not global warming. 
That is what is disputed, and that is what the science cannot, cannot abide. The argument that an increased concentration of CO2 in the upper atmosphere is going to or has caused temperatures to increase. And yet the le- and, and with regard to Paris, Paris, the accord, the Paris accord would have done nothing. Even if you believe based on flawed science, bad data, bad modeling, even if you believe that driving SUVs is going to create enough carbon dioxide that increases global temperatures, Paris would have done nothing except force the United States, and only the United States, and I'll tell you why in a second, force the United States and only the United States to fork over what at the, at the height of the, of the compact would be a trillion dollars a year, many hundreds of billions in cash payments, and the rest contributed by a slowdown in our economy and a dramatic reduction in our quality of life and a dramatic reduction in our ass, um, access to pro, uh, pathways of prosperity. For nothing, for not, even if you believe the, the nonsense, what is disputed about global warming, not climate change, but global warming, Paris would have done nothing except force the United States to fork over tons and tons of money and sacrifice trillions of dollars in economic output, sacrifice the livelihoods and the life expectancies and the quality of life of U.S. citizens. That's why Trump said Pittsburgh, not Paris, so that a whole bunch of really wealthy people like Tom Steyer could continue to get huge benefits in the form of either tax subsidies or cash payments. The idea was to redistribute U.S. wealth To the rest of the world, whether the rest of the world used it for ill or used it for good, it was irrelevant. The only only important part was to reduce the size of the U.S. economy, reduce the strength of the U.S. economy, reduce the power of the United States. That's what Paris would have done. Trump laid that out. It's indisputable, by the way. It's undebatable what he said as he laid out the case to get out of Paris. It is undebatable. The facts he laid out. There is nobody who can make an argument that Paris was going to have any impact on temperature whatsoever or any impact on carbon dioxide, particularly if we decided that we were going to necessarily slow down the economy. China wasn't going to have to comply. India wasn't going to have to comply. By the way, last year, India said about the Paris Accord, yeah, we're going to have to build more coal plants. Sorry about that, but our people come before you. And our people need access to energy. We have people too poor to even afford light bulbs. We're going to be building more coal plants in India. So India, even though in principle the country agreed to the carbon dioxide restrictions laid out, indicated right out of the box, we're not going to comply. China, same thing. Oh, yes, we intend at some point in the future to perhaps consider complying. But right now our people need more coal plants. So we're not going to comply either. The only country that was going to comply, and it was because in an executive capacity and bureaucratic capacity, the Obama administration had put the mechanisms in place to begin to force compliance by the United States, not because an international body was going to force us to comply, but because the bureaucracy of the deep state was going to compel us to comply with this. That's why it was important for Trump to officially get us out of this. 
so that nobody could then be working like busy little beavers at the EPA or the Department of Energy or anywhere else in the United States government in order to try to set up different types of structures that would have forced some kind of comp- compliance with, with Paris. That's all it was. Not a, there is not a leftist on the planet who can, who can point to any part of the Paris Accord and say this is going to stop warming. They admit it's not going to. The United Nations admit, admits it's not going to. Gina McCarthy at the EPA admits this will do nothing to slow warming. Zero, nothing, nada. Not a single one of these people who right now claims that Donald Trump killed the planet can point to anything in Paris, even if you believe the bogus science about global warming, can point to anything in Paris that would have stopped it. So when I so let's get to some of the hysterical responses here. Here's Scientific American. If you have a subscription to Scientific American, I strongly encourage you to consider an alternative science magazine because this magazine is abandoned science entirely for scientism. Scientific American puts out a picture of trees that are scorched by the sun in a desert and says this is what the world will look like if the U.S. bails on the Paris climate deal. That is not only unscientific, because a couple of degrees temperature change is not going to scorch the earth. By the way, the most aggressive models on warming, the most aggressive models on warming have the planet, and it's not, and you can't show that it's happening, have the planet warming by two degrees in 100 years. Two degrees. Two. Two degrees of warming is not going to scorch the planet. Yet Scientific American, supposedly the science people... Put out a picture saying this is what the world is going to look like because Donald Trump bailed out of a completely useless agreement that only would have forced the United States to slow down its economy and done nothing about temperature. You had Tom Steyer, who clearly needs to brush up on the Constitution and recognize that the Trump administration getting out of an executive, an executive agreement that the Obama administration got us into is not, in fact, a traitorous act of war. But that's what billionaire, Democrat, donor and bundler who has made his fortune on coal, oil and natural gas said of Donald Trump's decision to pull out of Paris. It is a traitorous act of war. You had other people claiming that this is going to cause a shortage of access to birth control globally. Pulling out of Paris, somehow that's going to cause a shortage of access to birth control. Why? I guess presumably they thought the trillions of dollars that the United States were not going to be realizing out of its economy were somehow going to flow into the hands of Planned Parenthood activists somewhere across the pond. Crazy stuff, folks. Here's one. Trump hates America. Trump hates America. That's why he got us out of Paris. Trump hates America so much that he decided it was not worth sacrificing a trillion dollars in U.S. economic output, sacrificing $7,000 per year in earning potential per working American. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Shutting down entire industries like coal, hammering industries like paper, cement, and other types of manufacturing. Overnight, watching 40,000 people in a state like Wisconsin lose their jobs in the manufacturing field. That, ladies and gentlemen, is somehow Donald Trump hating America. But I think the piece de resistance had to come from the Leonardo DiCaprio contingent of Hollywood. Donald Trump just declared war on life itself. Wow. Life itself, as we know it, is going to cease to exist. So this next topic that I'm going to get into, which, of course, is how the Wisconsin Republican legislature anonymously is looking to launch a sneak attack against small Wisconsin craft brewers, is totally irrelevant because life as we know it is going to cease to exist because Donald Trump somehow simultaneously the biggest moron on the planet and the most diabolical evil genius on the planet with the stroke of a pen at a rose garden ceremony killed us all. Be right back. I'm listening to Def Leppard thinking, oh, is Def Leppard also coming? <laughs> Not realizing you're playing my bump music back. Before we get to the um, the topic of the sneak attack on, on small Wisconsin brewers, my question about beer, the difference between Colch and Pilsner, apparently has been answered. But I want to let I don't want to misinterpret Ron, so I'm going to bring him on the air real quickly. He sounds like he knows about his beer, and he can explain the difference between Colch and Pilsner. Ron, it's a, in Wisconsin... Wear it as a badge of honor, my friend. Uh, well, yeah, I know. I brought it up here from Illinois, though, five years ago. So. All right. Well, you know what? You stay here another five years, and we're going to call you one of us. So what's the All difference? Right. What's, is it, is, it's, right. is, if I look it up online, it looks like it's the same, ty- it's, looks like it's the same it, beer. It, it's, it's really similar beer. They're both lager beers. Um, the main difference in, in the ingredients is, like, the Colch is more a lighter. It's brewed to be a lighter-type beer with less really powerful hops in it. It's more of just a, a nice, light, crisp beer, uh, whereas the Pilsner is going to be a little bit hoppier beer. Um, but the main difference between the two is in order to be called a true Kolsch, a real Kolsch beer, the brewery where it's made has to be in view of the uh, the Kölner Dome, which is the cathedral in uh, Cologne, Germany. Right, um, the Catholic cathedral. I just saw a picture of it. In essence, I mean, it's a huge cathedral, so basically anywhere in the city you can see the dome. But in order to be called a true Kolsch, uh, they had a convention in 1986 that set this ruling down that a real Kolsch beer has to be brewed within view of the Kölner Dome. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, there's there's really good Kolsch beers. They're Kolsch-style beers, though. Uh, Leinenkugel makes a really good one. It's a Kolsch-style beer. But a true Kolsch has to be brewed in Cologne, whereas your Pilsners, a true Pilsner would be uh, brewed in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, where the uh, Pilsners came out from. But they're all right, so that, they're all, just, all right, they're so, so y- Slightly, slight difference in yeast and sugar, lighter hops, 
clear beer. It's a clear yellow beer, and it's got to be brewed in Cologne. Otherwise, it can only be called a Colch style. I like them. I only saw them start popping up in the last couple of years. Not that it hasn't been around forever, but it, it has just suddenly sort of taken on a new popularity, it seems. Oh, yeah, they're great. And in, in Cologne, they serve them in 0.2-liter glasses. They're really small, dainty, tall glasses. And uh, what they do is they've got a uh, the coaster that sits underneath it, and they just automatically go and refill you without even asking. And once they refill you, you mark on the coaster how many how many you've had, and then you settle up at the end of the day. But they won't stop pouring until you wave <laughs> them off. So they're 0.2-liter. They're real dainty. It's a good beer. It's a, it's a great beer from the middle of summer. But it also sounds like... Sounds like the German people are, are, you know, channeling their inner Wisconsin people. Just saying. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the the, um, the little beer lesson there. I appreciate it. I think we should have in Wisconsin, we should have, or somebody should just think to do this. Maybe like, you know, like the Iron Horse Hotel, Hotel or something. Do a weekend where you're going to do one of those beer samplings. I love the summer beer samplings. But also do it in conjunction with some lessons on how to determine the differences between different types of beer. Because lots of people like beer, but not a lot of people know a lot about it. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. Speaking of beer, the whole reason I even brought up beer in the first place was because Brett Healy's on the phone from the MacIver Institute. We're going to talk about beer, but also wine and distillers in Wisconsin and something very, very serious. And that is an anonymous piece of policy that looks to be ready to be inserted in the budget that would... That would, uh, that would hammer those small brewers in Wisconsin, those small liquor distillers in Wisconsin, those small wineries in Wisconsin. Explain what's going on, Brett. Good afternoon, Vicki. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Um, you're exactly right. Our friends at AFP, Eric Bott and his hardworking crew, they published yesterday what appears to be uh, a draft amendment to the budget. That would change the way Wisconsin's three-tier liquor regulation system works. Uh, it does not have any names attached to it, any legislator names attached to it. It doesn't have any name, the names of any special interest groups attached to it. So uh, what we appear to be looking at uh, uh, here is a, a, a uh, backdoor uh, attempt to dramatically change uh, regulation of an industry, uh, and as we're finding out, uh, it appears that uh, one uh, significant part of this three-tier system, the producers of alcohol beer, haven't been consulted about this new regulatory system, and they're very concerned. They're, uh, they're very scared, as you pointed out, that this new amendment uh, could be added at the last second into the budget like we've seen in the past and that it would you know stifle innovation it would stifle uh, entrepreneurships and you know as you're talking about right now it would ultimately uh, stifle consumer choice for all of us hard-working wisconsin and wisconsinites who like to enjoy a beer or two on the weekend yeah so what it does it seems is it creates um an oversight um and it, it, it overlord an, an overlord that can't be overruled by the legislature that would force the manufacturing side, the small craft brewers, to comply in a way that is almost impossible for some of them 
with a separation between wholesaling and distribution. And it would, it, with $10,000 fines, the potential that you should not even be able to have your business model any longer. Basically, it would say for somebody like, let's say, a small wine operation who offers samples for tasting, but then also offers their wine for sale. If they don't put their wine for sale through the distribution process, they potentially find themselves in line for a $10,000 fine. You're exactly right. I, I think this is, uh, it appears to be uh, targeted at wine tasting rooms, craft brewery tap rooms. Tap rooms, uh, yeah, know, and wine the, tasting rooms, yeah. The, there's the Great Lakes Distillery Tasting Room, downtown Milwaukee. Uh, all those places where these craft breweries, these craft, craft distillers are offering up their product to people would appear to be uh, targeted by this new regulation, and it looks to be uh, outlawed in uh, under this new system that uh, they're contemplating right now in the budget. So is it is it that they would say you can't offer the tasting or you can't offer the, the alcohol for sale? Or all of it? Uh, it, it, it makes clear that uh, the three-tier system, which has uh, separation between the producers of the product the distributors of the product and the retailers of the product uh, would be uh, strictly enforced for beer and alcohol. So, they could, t- the tasting uh, rooms would have to close down, period. It, it appears, and I saw one TV report last night on CBS 58. They were talking to the owners of Mobcraft in Milwaukee, and that's what the, the, the owner of Mobcraft is, is fearful, is that his tasting room uh, uh, right off of his brewery would be, have to be closed down. Right, and Mobcraft, by the way, um, is 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 a uniquely you know it's kind of a unique operation, but it's also a very small operation. If you want to take that stuff home with you, it's really hard to get your hands on Mobcraft unless you go to the tasting room. You know, I mean, it's, that's the only pretty much the only way you can consume that particular brand. There's a couple of other small craft brewers in Wisconsin like that, um, but even the bigger craft brewers, the brew pubs, they brew their beer at the brew pub. You can taste the beer at the brew pub. You can buy the beer at the brew pub. You can get a growler of the beer at the brew pub. It appears that none of this would be legal any longer. Well, that was a huge fight just to get that little uh, 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 flexibility for brew pubs a couple years back in the legislature. Uh, And they had to uh, fight tooth and nail to to be able to offer up uh, their own wares. So uh, you can only speculate that since we're seeing this uh, anonymous amendment so late in the process that there uh, there would be attempts to use this language to roll back those uh, those uh, earlier uh, uh, offerings for brew pubs. Well, yeah, but the earlier offerings for brew pubs were very, I mean, it was very sketchy language that a lot of them were worried about at the time wasn't enough in the way of protection for brew pubs. This is some pretty explicit language. It's $10,000 fine if you, if you violate the three-tier system. Who, and we don't know who's behind it. That's the thing. Nobody from the Tavern League wants to return phone calls from the reporters on this. So that makes one suspicious. Nobody from legislative leadership seems to want to return phone calls from reporters on this, which, of course, would make one suspicious. So, you know, we don't really know. There's nobody registered to lobby for it because it's expected to be inserted in this little thing called the 999 Amendment, right? The the, the, the Omnibus Amendment that gets thrown, that gets attached to the budget at the end of the process. That's not really up for debate. 
You, your listeners will remember last budget, there was quite the controversy when, uh, as you pointed out, late in the, the, the process at the Joint Finance Committee level, they offered up a 999 motion, which was uh, dozens of pages long, had uh, many, many different uh, uh, policy changes, uh, offered at the last second, literally hours before the Finance Committee was going to finish its business, uh, the public was not giving, given uh, any time to uh, review the documents ahead of time, very little time to uh, scrutinize what was in, in the document. And uh, the reason why it blew up last time was because of the changes the legislators were uh, uh, proposing to the state's open records and open meetings law. And it was only because of the brouhaha that uh, developed thanks to the mainstream media, groups like MacGyver, that ultimately that language was pulled out. Uh, but unfortunately, it looks like that vehicle might, again, be the way that something like this, a, uh, a very complicated, uh, massive budget amendment with no name attached will be introduced into the process again. And it would hammer, again, small distillers like Great Lakes Distillery, some of the small wine operations in Wisconsin, and there, I, I, you can't even name all of them. There's so many, there's so many, Brett, that if you go on TravelWisconsin.com, you can actually go and click on, you know, sort of the alcohol tourism of the state of Wisconsin, the distilleries, the brew pubs, the small craft brewers, the wine, the, the winemakers and the wine tasting rooms. It's something we actually advertise as a reason to come to our state, and it could be a thing of the past because presumably because other people don't like – other parts of the three-tiered system don't like the competition. It's a billion-dollar industry, uh, probably closer to $2 billion industry right now that's only getting bigger. Uh, and as you point out, you know, if something like this goes through, uh, it's going to put all of that in jeopardy. Why we would want to hammer uh, these small uh, businesses, these mom-and-pop operations, these entrepreneurs who are risking everything to, to start their own uh, 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 brewery, why we would want to do that uh, in this state when we're trying to grow the economy, we're trying to uh, encourage people to come here and visit, spend their money with their tourism dollars, it, it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. By the way, this was that 999 motion was used to try to shoehorn in bail bonds in Wisconsin. They tried to trash open records law with the 999 motion. Looks like they're trying to, you know, stick it to uh, small craft brewers, small winemakers, you know, small distilleries. And for reasons that can only be explained by, by lobbyist pressure. But we don't know for sure because nobody's put any names on this language hopefully enough of the attention the attention is enough to kill it but i'm not sure let's hope as your listeners are having a, a beer this weekend they should uh, take a second email their legislators and let them know that they want they want uh, all of this left alone all of it left alone just so you can ju- i mean just let us enjoy our beer good to have you on the program brett healy from the macgyver institute back in just a moment This is Tavern League and Beer Distributors Association against everybody else. Um, 
According to the legislation, this is from the Cap Times article on this, quote, the law would create statutory barriers between each segment of the alcohol beverage industry, barring business owners from doing any kind of business with another segment of the industry. It would create a new section of law prohibiting those who hold permits or licenses from one group uh, of the system from holding an interest or ownership in another part of the system, including all manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers of alcohol be- alcoholic be- beverages. All. The operative word there is all, including all manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers of alcoholic beverages. So if you're a place like Mobcraft, your business model is in violation of this new statutory barrier rule that could be inserted in the budget. Their entire business model is obliterated. If you are one of those small winemakers and your entire business model depends on you being the creator, the manufacturer, the the seller, and the distributor of your own product, your business model's blown. It's a $10,000 fine every time you do it. Plus, this would actually have a, a bureaucrat appointed who would have authority beyond the legislature, who would have authority beyond the executive, would be, have, be a super ruler in Wisconsin. Serving a six-year term that you, you couldn't be fired by the governor, you couldn't be fired by the legislature. You have a six-year term. It's like the Government Accountability Board, only for booze in Wisconsin. It's nuts. It would cripple the small brewer, the small winemaker, the small distiller business model in our state that has become very, very successful in our state. The purpose of of the three-tiered system, allegedly, is to prevent the creation of monopolies in the system. But it's, it seems to have become a, a cartel that operates in many ways to shake down other parts of the system. It was supposed to be about enhancing competition, and now it seems to be about wielding the, the bludgeon against any competition. Why would conservatives ever support something like that? Why? Because the Beer Distributors Association and the Tavern League write checks to campaigns. That's why. This is not the first time we have seen alleged conservative members of the Wisconsin legislature succumb to pressure from lobbyists. The entire argument over a gas tax increase, the the 5% sales tax applied to a gallon of gas, is all under pressure from road-building lobbyists. That's, That's... We would never, nobody would ever in their right mind dream about proposing that in the Wisconsin legislature, but for the contributions that come from the road builders lobbyists. Nobody in their right mind would think about killing off something that we advertise to the rest of the country as a place, as a reason to come to Wisconsin. Small craft brewers, small winemakers, small distillers. It's on the TravelWisconsin.com website. Nobody in their right mind would propose this unless there were lobbyists pushing for them to propose it because those lobbyists write campaign checks. It's despicable. It's disgraceful. And it certainly isn't conservative. Have a great weekend. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.